we've been on this journey together. So I started a few weeks ago, and we talked about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus spent a whole well, spent more time talking about the kingdom of God than any other subject. Um, about, I think it's about 112 times the kingdom of God is mentioned over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Jesus spent a lot of time focused on what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God. Um, and then uh, we, we talked about Jesus' Sermon on Mount. You know, you find the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7. We find the great teachings. So it's such a great collective body of um, Jesus' teachings about ethics and spirituality, the kingdom of God. talked about the Beatitudes, which is kind of the great reversal. He says, hey, listen, you may feel as if that you're getting a bad deal here in this life, but listen, justice is going to be overturned. And um, someday justice will rule and heaven, and your life may be, your life is going to be totally different from the way you feel underneath the Roman Empire. So he gives us these great beatitudes, and we find those teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then um, last week, we um, turned to the next page about, once again, we're focused on the words of Jesus. And so um, we talked about, I said, if there's a greatest hits list for Jesus, as far as the parables, I said the number one would be the prodigal son. And uh, number two, to me, would be the Good Samaritan story. So I'm going to talk about that one today, as Pastor Ellen mentioned in her sermon, in her, uh, in her prayer just a few minutes ago. And, and so, you know, I, I think about, you know, the idea of parables. Um, the word parable means, literally means in the Greek to be cast aside. So in other words, if Jesus is taught, focused on some kind of subject, like as I shared with you all last week, the kingdom of God, then he takes a story and casts aside it so, you can, so people could understand it in very simple terms. That's why he talked about mustard seeds or leaven or things, simple things like that. And so the prodigal son, which is a great story, the prodigal literally means to be wasteful living. And so we learned a lot about that part of the story last week. And, and so usually when you look at a parable, there's, um, usually there's a, there's a part of it that has to do with who God is, and there's a part of it like who we are, kind of naturally, and then who God calls us to be. This is part of the theme that we have in the parables. We also know usually there's someone who gets it right in the parable, and sometimes there's somebody who doesn't get it right in the parable. And so, um, so let me just begin, as that kind of gives you a little background of where we've been over the last few weeks. Let me read this part of the story today. And so this is, you find the, the, uh, the Good Samaritan story in the Gospel of Luke. By the way, uh, Luke um, is the king of parables. There's like, I think there's 31 parables that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As a matter of fact, I shared with you on John, there aren't any parables. He talked in metaphors. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find the parables. So there are, 30, I think, 31 parables. And out of the 31 parables, we find 24 of those in Luke. And only, I think there's 18, there's specifically just Luke. And so these two parables, the prodigal son story and uh, the Good Samaritan, we find only in Luke. So here are these words from uh, Luke 10, uh, beginning of the 25th chapter. So just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. That's important. And this is what he said. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbors yourself. And then he said to him, well, um, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, now that's important. He asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who were stripped him and beat him and went away and leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds and having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Hey, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you might spend. And then Jesus paused. And he says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell to the hands of the robbers? And then the lawyer said, Well, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. That story never gets old, does it? Just like the prodigal son story, it's timeless. It just keeps speaking to us. 2,000 years later, it still speaks to us. What I love about it, it's so real. Let me just tell you how real that is. Um... True story, Thursday, uh, I woke up and uh, did my normal thing, and I thought, well, you know, Thursday, this is going to be a great day because I don't have anything specifically on my schedule. I have a schedule every week, and usually it's filled up with lots of different meetings. I go to a lot of meetings for, in a church, and so, but on this particular day, I'm thinking, this is wonderful because there was like, only thing I had on my schedule was at 3.30, I had to go see Dr. Casper, he's my dermatologist, and I, I need to get a procedure done, so I had like the day all open. So um, I think, okay, this is great because I can catch up on some things. I can actually kind of think ahead. I mean, I was going to do some, uh, memorize my sermon. I usually do that on Thursday and kind of work on through some of the details. And then, and then um, after that, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and get ahead um, for my terrific Tuesdays because I'm going to doing the Journeys of Paul. And I got two more lessons on that. I thought, well, this is going to be great. So you know what happened? Um, so I get in the office and I start kind of doing my thing and kind of making my rounds. And I always said, oh, man, I forgot. So we had the, the backpacks. We were loading up the backpacks about 9 o'clock. And so, um, by the way, we gave away 1,800 backpacks. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? It's a win. It's a win. So part of the staff from the Wildwood, um, either the middle school, I came over and picked them up. Um, and they picked, I think we picked up, they picked up 550 on. So I helped them kind of, I got out with our staff and we started loading all of them up. So I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't really planning for that. But I went out there, forgot that that was on the, uh, kind of the docket for our church. So I went out and participated. And that was so great. And took a picture. It was wonderful. So then I thought, okay, well, I'll go back to my office. So I went back to my office and I started trying to work on my sermon and so forth. And um, I don't know, maybe a few minutes later, all of a sudden, my friend Mike Williams, who's the Christian comedian, shows up. Uh, totally unannounced. I think, I don't know, that's just what comedians do, I guess. I have no idea. He didn't tell me he was coming. I hadn't seen Mike in, I don't know, a year or two. And, and so he's such a good friend of mine. So I, and so they, I heard him and I think, what? That, I have recognized that voice. So he came, I said, why come on back? I, you know, uh, I said, this is actually a good day. I don't have any really thing to plan. So he sat down, we talked for about an hour and just caught up on some things in his life. He's got such a great mission in the Dominican Republic and just loved children and so we had a great visit. So I really wasn't planned for that, but that's okay because I had my day all open. And so then, um, and so I thought, okay, then I went back and tried to, once again, try to memorize my sermon. And the next thing I was, it was about lunchtime. So I, um, I always like after, um, usually at lunchtime, I take my, bring my lunch and I go back and there's a back, there's actually a picnic table in the back part over here on a property um, underneath the oak trees. And so I like to go out there. It's kind of quiet and just have my little, um, my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just like my chips and just do my thing. And 
And so what, on this particular day, you know, I had my plan. I do it every single day. And so guess what? There was the, the painting crew was out at my picnic table. And so I had to just wave at them. And I just went back. And there's another picnic table in the back. And I thought, okay, that's all right. It wasn't what I planned, but it's okay. So I ate my sandwich. And I went back to my office. And then about a few minutes later, I was trying to memorize my sermon. And, and so then um, Ann says, comes to me, Ann Foothills, our ministry director. She says, Harold, I know you don't like surprises. So, but um, you need to pretend. And I said, okay. And she says, well, someone just called from your old church and faith, and, and uh, her name is Kim, and she and her husband are going to come visit, but they wanted to surprise you because guess what? They've come to the villages, and they're checking out buying a house. Can you imagine that? Okay? And so they were checking out. They, you know, got the three or four day deal. They kind of got the golf cart they were doing around. And so, uh, sure enough, Kim, and I had no idea who Kim was at the time. And so I had no clue, no clue. Kim who, right? So Kim walked to the door, and I see her husband, Kevin, and I, 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 as soon as I saw him, I recognized him. I didn't exactly who they were, but I had no clue at the time. And so I sat down and spent about an hour talking to them and showed them our church and so forth. And once again, after they left, I went back and tried to memorize my sermon. And, and so once again, and so then by that time, it's like 3.30. So I go see Dr. Casper. He does this procedure on me. And but, you know, let me tell you, so Dr. Casper, he's my dermatologist, and he's, such a, he's a really, really great surgeon. Now, here's the reason why I know he's a great surgeon, is because he operated on me on Thursday, and I'm still alive today. This is a beautiful thing. <laughs> and so I'm still kicking. So anyway, so I'm after, it's, now it's 4.30, 5 o'clock, and so I, I go home. I'm kind of tired, and I had this little surgical procedure, and I really didn't feel real good, and so I go home, and I sit down. I'm thinking, I finally can kind of chill out. True story. So then I says... Harold, and I go, well, honey. She says, can you take me to Walmart? And I said, okay, all right. So listen, I'm, for my house, true story, I'm, I'm I, I, to get to Walmart, and so it's, it's 5.08. Now listen, at 5.08, um, on, if you go out on 301 at 5.08 trying to go towards Walmart on 301, the traffic's back way up. So you can either go straight from my house or you make a right. So I came to the fork in the road, and as Yogi Bear says, when you get to the fork of the road, you take it, right? And so I took, instead of going straight, I went right. So I went back through the back doorway to the villages, true story. So on the way um, to, and this has never happened to me, and I've gone this trip probably a thousand times in 12 years. As I'm making my way, and by the way, I knew I was going to preach on the Good Samaritan story. As I'm making my way through the villages, the back doorway, I see this guy who's laid out in his yard flat and there was another man who had gone to him and he's trying to help and then donna says harold pull over and that's so i pulled over and I, I got out of my car and i i went to go see what was going on with this gentleman who was laid in his front yard it was kind of hot and and so um when i get to him he's all bloody and um he's all sweaty and he had been working his yard and i believe the gentleman's probably i guess his name was robert and i think he was in his mid 80s probably maybe 85 or so and so I, I um, the other guy was there, and, and so I said, well, Robert, do you, I said, do, sir, do you, think, I didn't know his name at the time, I said, do you, can I just maybe help you up, and maybe you can kind of get, and so he was very disoriented, he was dehydrated, so I propped him up, and I started talking to him, and so um, I asked him what his name was, and my name is Robert, and I said, what's going on, Robert, he says, well, I was just working, and I don't know what happened, evidently he'd passed out. And so we got him propped up, and then all of a sudden some other people come by, and they start, 
They called 911, and they, the paramedics, so it was about, I don't know, maybe it took 10 minutes for the paramedics to come because there were a lot of other people, evidently. And So I started talking to Robert. Meanwhile, his wife comes out, and we're talking, and the other guy who was there, he left, and another lady comes, and we're just talking to Robert. And then, um, so I joke with Robert in the next 10 or 15 minutes as I was waiting for the, for the, for the paramedics to come. I said, Robert, you're not going to believe it. I said, I am preaching on the product. I'm, I'm preaching on the Good Samaritan story. I said, do you think you could come to church this week so I could use in my visual aid? <laughs> he laughed. <laughs> and so, anyway, I told him I was a pastor behind Publix, and we all kind of chuckle. You know, you have to lighten things up a little bit. And so finally, the paramedics come, and... They take over. So we go to Walmart, and we do our little shopping. So then I decide to, by the way, you know what? Sometimes your day doesn't work out the way you planned, right? Nothing worked out the day that I planned. So then we're finally going home, and I had kind of told a little bit of Donna about my story, and she kind of chuckled about it. Then she says, well, you know what, Harold, this is going to probably end up a sermon. Yes, it will end up a sermon. And so on my way home, I go down 301, the other way that I normally don't normally go, and then I turn and like a left to go home, and you're not going to believe it. This is how my day ended. There was a train. And there's 163 cars. And you know why that? I counted every one of them, right? And I finally got home after all that in my day. And you know what's interesting about, I tell you that story, it's, there's a lot in that story, isn't it? I mean, once again, it reminds us that sometimes we plan our days out, and they don't always work out the way that we plan. And then Jesus tells this remarkable story about the Good Samaritan story, and you as Jesus is, as he's spinning the story, I, I just was reflecting because I knew I was going to be preaching on this. And I thought, well, isn't it kind of ironic that, you know, here's this man who falls as down as he's making the road, making the, his way from Jericho, from Jerusalem, either Jerusalem back to Jericho. And he has a plan on that day too, but he wasn't planned to be beaten up by a bunch of robbers. And then you have this, Levi, and you have the priest in the story, and they probably weren't planning on seeing this half-dead guy on the side of the road. They weren't planning for that either. And then you have the Samaritan in the story, and, you know, he's just going along with his own business, and all of a sudden, he sees this half-dead guy on the side of the road, and once again, he stops and helps, and he wasn't probably planning on that happening. What a great story, isn't it? Sometimes in life, our lives don't always work out the way that we, we plan. Uh, you know what I love about this story? It's, it's a story of uh, what I call uh, roadside. I think it's the greatest roadside assistance story in, in the world, right? My son Logan, one night, we're, I don't know, about a year ago, him and his girlfriend were, I think they're coming back home from our house to back down to Boynton Beach. And, and um, so they were on the Florida Turnpike. And, 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 and I said, well, um, how, Logan, how come you got home so late? He says, well, Dad had a flat tire. I said, what happened? I said, did you, did you have to get out and change? Yeah. I said, he, and he says, well, I was about to get out. And he says, all of a sudden, can you show that first picture of the road ranger showed up? I don't know if you realize this, but there's road ranger, rangers on the turnpike. If you um, uh, have a flat tire or something, you just kind of wait around. Somebody's going to show up. I think they're sponsored by AAA or something like that. And so a road ranger guy showed up. And what I love about road rangers is that sometimes if you're on the side of the road, you feel like you're the lone ranger and you need a road ranger to pick you up, right? Yeah. So, you know, every once in a while we need roadside assistance. 
Even this last week, my friend Robert, who's 85, is all bloody. He needed a little roadside assistance, didn't he? He needed a good Samaritan. And, and you know, it's interesting about that. I, I love this picture by Vincent Van Gogh. This is Vincent Van Gogh's uh, version of roadside assistance. I just love that photo. There he is, a guy, the good Samaritan, taking the guy who was half dead, put him on his own horse, and was taking him down the road to be able to heal his wounds. You know, this week I, you know, I always do, you know, I do a lot of research, uh, you know, my sermon preparation, and I always look for, like, current events or things. So I, I Googled this week the idea of, a, um, like, real-life um, Good Samaritan stories, things that happened maybe in the last couple of years. And you know what? I, when I Googled that, I thought it was really interesting, is that um, the stories that popped up, a lot of them were from, the, um, from 2020. And what was interesting about what was happening in America in 2020, there was still a lot of tension going on because of what happened with George Floyd, and there was this tension, the racial tension going on within our country, and there was a, it was on the news every single night. And so I thought this was a really interesting story. This was actually in the uh, was Associated Press. It was found in the USA Today. And the title of this particular article that I found is called Black Man Who Filed for Wrongful Arrest Saves Pennsylvania Police Officer from Burning Car. And so this is a picture of Dalen McLee. Can you, there he is right there. So evidently, uh, Dalen had been wrongfully accused and arrested for something he didn't really do. And so he had to go and was they, I guess they put him in jail, but he finally got out. And so what's interesting, the ironic part of the story was that one day he was um, at his apartment or his house, and all of a sudden he had this big crash out in front of his house, and he runs out. And so all of a sudden there's a police, ha- a police car that was engulfed in flames. So he goes and he says, I really don't know what came over me, but I just ran out to the car and I ripped the door off and got the police officer out and I carried him off to the side. And, and so what was interesting about this article is they talked about how the police chief called him and thanked him personally. And evidently the officer, Jay Hanley's um, relatives all called and thanked him personally for saving the, the man's life. And then what was really interesting, um, what was the quote that he said about this whole experience and because um, they said, well, um, said the 31-year-old said it wasn't a complicated decision to help another human being. But even some of his friends wondered whether he hesitated because of his pre- previous interaction with a few law enforcement officers. And then this is the quote that he said. He says, no, there is value in every human life. We are all children of God, and I can't imagine just watching anyone burn. And he goes on and says, you know, no matter what other people have done to me or others, officers, I thought this guy deserves to make it home safely to his family. And that was a really powerful story about a real-life Good Samaritan story. And then as I was researching, I, this is article by, the, it was entitled Real Life Good Samaritan Stories, and it's what does it mean to be a Good Samaritan? This is article was written by Catherine Hannaway, um, Hannay, who is a founder of what they call mindfulteachers.org. And she was talking about the Good Samaritan story because, once again, she's writing in 2020 about, and she talked about how people are being inundated during watching the news and all this kind of negativism and going on in the life of our country. And, and then she started talking about the Good Samaritan story. And so she talks about this in particular. She says, you know what? And because she realized she, she's writing to somewhat of maybe a, a secular world. And then she makes the point, she says, I don't know if you realize this, but the Good Samaritan story is actually found in the Christian Gospels. 
And then she said, you know, many of you all have heard this concept about Good Samaritan story. But say once again, she's, so once again, you have to understand, I realize I'm preaching to the choir. And you all have heard the Good Samaritan story probably told a hundred times and you read it. But there's a whole world out there that you heard, they've heard the expression, the Good Samaritan story. But they didn't really even know it was in the Bible. What's this interesting, because I was, when I was at Dr. Casper's office this last week, there was a, the, um, one of his assistants, a nurse assistant was there. She was a young girl, and um, we were, she asked me a question, a theological question, and then we started talking a little bit. And she says, uh, Pastor Al, I know who you are. And I said, you do? And she says, yeah, you're, you're Cameron's dad. And she said, she didn't call him Cameron, she called him Chunk. That's his nickname in high school. I went to school with Chunk. And then she says to me, and by the way, you did my baccalaureate service. And she said, I said, well, do you remember what I talked about? And she says, yes, I do. You talked about, she says, um, I, um, uh, thank you, please forgive me, I'm sorry, and I love you. She still remembered. And then I've said, I started talking to her about the Good Samaritan story, but you know what's interesting about her? Is I, I, and I, when I brought up the Good Samaritan story, she looked a little perplexed. And it just reminded me exactly what's going on in this article because I don't think that she knew the Good Samaritan story was actually in the gospel. It was just a story. And then the, and the, what was interesting in this particular story, this write-up about, um, they talked about the idea of um, the challenges that we were facing in our country. And then she quoted this person by the, town, by the name of Thomas Merton. I think I have this quote up on the screen. Thomas Merton, a uh, reader, said, let us remember that while to us all Samaritans are good Samaritans, it was not so that to those who first heard the parable. And their eyes of all, and their, their eyes, all Samaritans were, by the very fact, bad. Indeed, what was why a Samaritan had to be the subject of the parable, since it was necessary for the hearers to realize that at least one Samaritan could be a good one. And then she goes on and says, you know what, in our context of our day, in other words, the Good Samaritan isn't a story about how nice we are. It's a story about how one of them helped one of us. And these days, she said, maybe, the, maybe another title could be the Good Buddhist or the Good Christian, the Good Conservative, a Good Hindu, or the Good Jew, or the Good Liberal, the Good Muslim, she said. She goes on to write. And so I started to think about that. Maybe what Jesus was getting at when he told this parable is that we have a tendency to think you know, it's, it's us and them and them and us. And maybe what Jesus is trying to get us at when it comes to the kingdom of God, why can't it just be us? Do you get that? So often we have a tendency to categorize life and it's us and them. This is what she was talking about and them and us. But then I love that quote from Rodney King. You remember several years ago, I think it was 1990s, Rodney King was beat up by, I think it was police officers, and that was the headlines of the news. And he had a great quote. He says, why can't we just all get along? That's what he said. Why can't we all just get along? So of uh, the story today, this great story, the, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, you have to look at the story before the story. Where have you heard that before? Uh, what did I read? The very beginning, there is a well. There is a lawyer. A lawyer. I mean, I, I, he's not like a lawyer. You think of like you know, you go hire a lawyer, someone to help you know uh, to uh, uh, to be able to represent you. Uh, it was a lawyer, like a Jewish official, someone who knew the law of the Bible or of the Torah. He was an expert in it. He knew it backwards and forwards. So he goes to Jesus on this particular occasion. He's, he says, "Hey," and he knows he's heard of Jesus, and he's. And there is that little line in there. It says he, he comes with the intention to try to 
to test him. And so he goes to Jesus and he's trying to test him. And he says to him, um, Jesus, what is it I need to do to get that to do to inherit eternal life? So in typical uh, rabbinic way, a rabbi, a lot of times when they would teach or do you have, they would, they would, somebody would ask you a question, you would ask a question back. So then Jesus, in his classic way, says, well, um, what does the good book say? And, he, so, and then you ask another question, and he says, how do you interpret it? Ask two questions. So then the, the guy, the rabbi, or the teacher, the lawyer, says to him, and he gave him the correct answer. There are no loopholes in this. Then the correct, this is the because he's a lawyer and he's the expert. He gave him the correct answer. Matter of fact, I think this is the. Can you put up Deuteronomy? If they could put that text up from Deuteronomy, if you could. So this is the correct. This is what he says. You must love the Lord God with all your heart. Can you repeat this with me? Let's say it together. All right. You must love the Lord your your God with all your heart and with all your being, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay. So I mean, this is goes back to. Moses, right? This is the traditional way of thinking. And once again, there aren't any loopholes in that. And what's really powerful about that way he answered that question was it's, um, it's powerful because it, 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 capture, it captures the essence of spirituality because it's connected to God, but it also captures the, the essence of what would be ethical because you would take care of your neighbor. And then um, Jesus, will you answer correctly? Pause. And the lawyer can't let it go. He can't help himself. And the Bible says, there's that little line, and wanting to justify himself. In other words, here I do all the answers. He just wants to find out if Jesus knows the answers. And it's almost like a trick question, or maybe almost to test him in a way. And listen, it's either all or nothing in this test, right? Either you're going to get it right or you're going to get it completely wrong. You got one question, you got one shot at it. And so he asked the question, so who is my neighbor? What a great question. You know, actually, I had that question asked to me last week. I was sitting right over here after 11 o'clock service, and there was a, a couple who had come to um, visit for us for the first time, New Covenant. Someone had brought them and um, had met them out in the community and said, hey, come to our church. And so um, they came to church just to kind of check it out and she came to me after the service and um, sought me out. And she, um, she says, Pastor, I've got, got a couple of questions. She says, you know, last week, or she says, you know, today you talked about, um, this last week, you know, you talked about a little bit about the United Methodist Church and what's going on with the Methodist Church. And she says, this, when you're referring to that, did, were you re talking about what's going on with the United Methodist Church as far as human sexuality? I said, yeah, I, I was. That's what I was talking about. Because evidently, maybe she studied up on the Methodist Church before she came. And then um, I talked a little bit about, you know, where we are and all that. And then she says to me, so, would a gay person be accepted in your church? And I said, absolutely. I said, you know, we're here to love people and accept people just the way they are. We're not here to judge people. We're here to love people. You know what, what's interesting about when she asked me that question? She didn't know I was preaching on this week. But what she really wanted to know, if I'm willing to practice what I preach 
And we are who we are. New Covenant and I met this church, a place to call home and that we accept all people. And you know what she was really getting at? And when she asked me that question, she wanted to know who my neighbor is. That's pretty powerful to me. And what's interesting, if you go back to the the teachings here, is that um, the definition of neighbor for the Jewish tradition was the neighbor was someone who was another Jewish person. In other words, they excluded everybody else. So your neighbor was, so tell me who your neighbor is. So hence the reason why when Jesus tells this remarkable story and he says, well, once upon a time, there's this guy who was going down this long road and it's a, and so he's beaten up by these bandits. And so the Levite, well, the, the priest, and they were thinking the priest would have been the hero of the story, obviously. You all have heard the story before. But what's interesting, I learned this week that um, the priest would have had a direct connection of the presence of God. I mean, like the priest had this direct, I mean, that you can't get any more holier than a priest, right? And so they were thinking, well, the priest would be the hero of the story. Nah, nah. And the Levite, and Levite would have been a, from the tribe of Levi, which would have been a really religious person, but it would almost be the equivalent of someone who like served in the church, somebody who would have been the choir, or being a part of the staff pairs committee, or part of the trustees, the finance, or someone who would be a usher or greeter in your community of faith. And so a Levite would have been another pillar of the community, a pillar of the church. And so that Levite goes on the other side. And, and so then all of a sudden Jesus says this is Samaritan, the Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated, obviously, you all know the part of the story. 671 BC, the Assyrians came in and pummeled Israel and there was this big exile taken off to Assyria and the, the people were left behind. The Assyrians were intermarried with the, the Jewish people and they were called the Samaritans. And now all of a sudden, the Samaritans, the group of people were considered the outcasts and the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. There was this major tension going on between them. Then Jesus gets to the very end of that story, and he redefines what a neighbor really looks like, and he redefines who is our neighbor. And he, there's this old question Who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives them a whole new way of thinking about what it means to be neighborly. <coughs> and of all the people, I mean, this, once again, this was the shock factor. Mm. Jesus was always shocking people. Because look at his audience. They're all Jewish people. And he makes a Samaritan to hear a story. He had compassion for him. He saw his wounds. Okay, so I'll close um, with this thought today. Y'all still with me? Okay. Um, good, because I still have finished the sermon. <laughs> and, um, and so here's my thought. You know, I heard this. Um, I didn't realize this, but I, I found this last week. Yeah, um, uh, Martin Luther King, um, in fe uh, February of... Uh, 1968, there was two um, sanitation workers that were killed in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, some of y'all may remember this in American history. And, and so evidently, it had been pouring down rain, and so um, the two uh, sanitation workers got in the back of the dumpster of the, of the um, garbage truck because it was pouring down raining, and they were seeking to get out of the rain. So evidently, while they were in the back of this particular 
um, garbage truck, there was a, the mechanism that triggered the hydraulics malfunction. It wasn't done intentionally, but it was malfunction, and it crushed the two garbage uh, sanitation workers, and it killed them. So um, there was this uprising amongst the people who are part of the sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee, in 19s, and we want better, we want better rights, we want better accommodate, better, uh, more pay, we're just basically getting a terrible deal. And by the way, I thought this was really interesting, I ran the arithmetic on this. So um, for, the, for, the, for the cost of two lives, um, the, evidently, whoever owned the sanitation um, was in charge of that. They were willing to give the widows um, one month's pay for their losing their husbands. And so one month's pay, I, I actually looked this up just before I came in. So the minimum wage, I'm assuming that the guys were making a minimum wage, $1.60 per hour in 1968. So that's $256. They were going to get it. 256 bucks. They thought that would be good. So Martin Luther King shows up because they began to show this, they were picketing because they went on strike. And so on April 3rd, Martin Luther King gave this speech. Now I want you to share, I'm going to share this speech with you because what was very interesting, this is the last speech that Martin Luther King gave because the next day on April 4th, 1968, he's going to be assassinated. And so um, what was really interesting, I think it's really powerful. You ready, guys? He's giving this unbelievable speech. It's not even in church, but he's a preacher, right? So he kind of goes to preaching. And this last speech of all the topics he talks about, the Good Samaritan story. Take a listen. You know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Did you get that? Man, that was brilliant. Think about the context that Martin Luther King is talking to. And he, he stops and reverses the whole thing and he says, don't think about it from, what, from the perspective of what's going to happen to me. Think about the guy who's half dead and ask your question, what about him? Hmm. I thought this was a really classic, I never knew this, but the picture the iconic picture of the civil when during the when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Did you see Andrew Young and Jesse Jackson and that his uh, Martin Luther King's uh, friends that were with them? They were all pointing right towards where the shot came from. That was t actually taken by a guy by the name of Joe Lowe, who was a photographer of Life for Life magazine, who happened to be following Martin Luther King's steps during that week while I was in Memphis. So he was two doors down. 
when he was asked, actually assassinated. So Martin Luther, he was actually in his room. Joe Lowe was in his room. He was watching the, the evening news, and they were talking about Martin Luther King evidently being there. And all of a sudden, he heard the shots ring out, and he ran out to see what had happened. And all of a sudden, you see Martin Luther King on the, um, out on the balcony lying there. So he goes and gets his camera and begins to take pictures. And what that was really, you ready for this? I, I never know this part of the story. This is the rest of the story. So when Joe Lowe sees what happened, he takes the pictures. And after he takes the picture, the one of the most iconic pictures of the 1900s, he goes over and looks at Dr. King, and this is what he said as he's reflecting upon this experience. He said, you know, as I looked at Dr. King, I could almost feel the wound myself. Let me say that again. As I looked at Dr. King as he's lying there dying, I could almost feel the wound myself. Maybe that's where Jesus wants us to be in the story. That we get to the point that we can see another human being and when they're hurting and they need compassion and they need empathy and they need mercy and they need justice. We look at the other human being for who they are and their sacred worth and we can feel the wound ourselves. Such is the kingdom of God. I close with this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Like the Good Samaritan, may we not be ashamed of touching the wounds of those who suffer, but try to heal them with concrete acts 